welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, it's been uh, it's been a few weeks since we uh, were last here in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to continue on in our in what we've been looking at, and what we've been studying is understanding our enemy, and and the goal of that is to understand you know first who our enemy is not, but also who our enemy is, and we've seen that our enemy is not not flesh and blood, right? And what we mean by that it's it's not other people that we're fighting against. And, and I think that's significant because Paul's just finished talking about a number of different relationships. He's finished talking about what it means to be a wife and to be a husband and, and to be a parent or a child or, or to be a boss or a worker. And, and many of those relationships are where people tend to struggle with, with, uh, with life. Uh, but despite all that, what Paul's saying to us is that the enemy that you face is not your spouse. They're, they're not your child or your coworkers or your boss or your employees. They're not your friends or even your ex-friends. It's, it's not even those who rejected Jesus as Lord, which means it's not Muslims, it's not Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses or, or anyone else who follows a different religion. None of those people are our enemies. And it's not those who disagree with us, with us politically or cheer for the wrong sports team, Sheila, or, or who even those who think that pineapple on pizza is wrong, Ian. We don't judge or nor you our enemy. Instead, what we did, we spent three weeks looking at who the enemy really is. And we saw that it's, it's Satan and the demonic, specifically those fallen angels who rebelled along with Satan against God. And then we saw it's the world system, this, this world system that is essentially trying to, to replace God, to be a God unto us. And then lastly, the one we looked at last time, and I think is, is probably the, the most significant to the largest of all of these, is, is the flesh. And, and the flesh is constantly trying to control us, constantly trying to put us under some kind of a standard, some kind of a measurement, the law essentially, so that we could now strive, but according to the flesh. And in doing so now, it gets to control us. And so if you're, if you're still not clear on any of those three enemies, I, I encourage you to rewatch or listen to again those messages from before, because I think it's really important that we understand how we're being attacked so that we have a chance at those, uh, you know, standing firm when we're being bombarded each and every day from those enemies. But this morning, what we want to look at is we want to look at how do we find victory? And, and specifically, it's not how as much as a who. That, that ultimately what it comes down to is that it's not about you and your effort. It's not about how determined you are, how sold out you are for God, how serious you are. And, and if you just try harder, then everything would be okay. That's not where we're going to find our victory. Instead, what we're going to discover is everyday practical Christianity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. But that shouldn't surprise us because the answer is Jesus. The answer to all that we need is the person of Jesus. And so I don't think it's an accident that when Paul began this passage, began this section on, on our warfare, or the enemies we're up against, he started off with the answer being Jesus before we even got into who we're up against. And so we see that in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
And so that's what we want to look at this morning. What does that mean to be strong in the Lord and understand that? So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we have this opportunity now to, to get together again and just to, to sit in and understanding your word. And, and this topic here, being strong in you, Lord, I, I first confess my need for it right now, but also I recognize how hard it is for us to understand this truth. And that it's such an abstract concept to be trusting and depending on a God that we cannot see, but now resides inside of us. And so the good news is we've got the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so if there's ever a morning, may this be the morning that Father, your spirit would speak to us, that your spirit would be the one to open up our eyes, give us a revelation and understanding of what it means to have you live in us, for you to be our strength and to be our might. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, my, my job as a, as, a, as a teacher of God's word is to just to do that, is to teach God's word, to, to, to make sure that we're sitting in and understanding what is Father's word saying to us. And that's why we take the time to try to understand the, the meaning of the words or the grammar that the, the writers have chosen, because there's value in that. There's, there's, there's greater depth and understanding in that. And what that means is that my opinion or even my story comes a, a distant second to what the biblical text has to say. And so it doesn't mean I never share my story. It just means that my story doesn't define my theology. Instead, the theology that we get from Father's Word helps us to understand our experiences, help us understand our story and what we're going through. And so this morning, to understand what Paul means about being strong in the Lord, I thought, I thought I'd share with you some of my own story some of my own journey as I began to understand this. So I want to begin that, you know, I was, I was born at an early age. That's about as good as the humor gets. It's a low bar, but that's about as high as it gets. So just warning you there, but back to, I want to start not at birth, but I want to start the, the moment my whole world changed, which was when I was, when I was born again into the family of God. And I don't know if you remember that moment in your own lives where there was that, that moment where in your heart, you made a decision to be obedient to Jesus. And that's a, it's an odd phrase, right? We typically use that we invite Jesus into our heart or, or we accepted Jesus or we found Jesus. And, and all those are, are, are phrases that we use that, that I think describe that moment of salvation. But, but I find it interesting that scripture actually refers to it as that moment of obedience, that moment where we actually now trust Jesus to be our savior. And, and I don't know what age you were. I was, I was young. I was age six years old, roughly when that all happened. And, and I don't know if any of us though, truly understood the significance of it. I know I didn't at age six, but again, there's so much to it that it's hard for us to really, really fathom all of it in that moment. You see, in that moment, what I did understand is I understood I was forgiven which was important because I had a little sister named Nicole who I teased and sorry, Nicole, if you're watching, but I, I knew I needed to be forgiven for that. So I knew the forgiveness part. I also knew that I was, I was destined now to spend the rest of eternity with Jesus. And so I, I understood that part of it as well, but that's, that's about all I understood as what salvation was. It would be a roughly two more decades before I began to understand really the transaction or what God did to me how God, he rescued me from myself and he made me into someone new that was now righteous and holy. That was, that was still a ways away to, to come. But in the meantime, I was now left with trying to do my best. You see, 
I kind of wondered at times why God didn't just beam me up to heaven. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like you're, you're sort of like, I'm saved. What's left? Haven't I kind of leveled up like in a video game where now I just, I just suddenly that, that level ends and now we go to the next level, which is heaven. Why am I still around here? And so I spent the next 10 years trying to come up with an answer for that, trying to figure out what was expected of me now as a Christian, as a born again believer. And, and essentially what I was told week after week was that now that Jesus has done his part, it's my turn. It's my turn to do my part because for all that Jesus gave for me, I now needed to give to him. I now needed to dedicate and give my life for him and to live for him and to do my best for him and to somehow follow and live like him. And what that meant exactly was basically that the teachers would cobble together a list of, of principles, of verses, uh, some from the Bible and others just from church leaders, that they basically would say, this would be pleasing to God. That if I follow these principles, if I follow these rules, then, then that would somehow, God would be impressed because I'd be modeling my life after him. I'd be living like him. And so it included a list such as, you know, read my Bible, say my prayers, go to church, memorize the assigned Bible verses from Sunday school, be kind to everyone, especially your little sister, share your faith with others so that they too can become a Christian. And so there's a number of things that I was told to do, but there seemed to be a longer list of things that I was told that I now shouldn't do. Don't swear, which ironically, I actually had a really big problem with at age six. I swore so much it made sailors blush. I know that's kind of shocking, but I'm not actually kidding. That was one of the, one of the things I struggled with at the time. But, uh, but thankfully, after becoming obedient to Jesus, that, that hasn't been a problem anymore. But it would be don't swear. Don't, don't drink alcohol. Uh, don't smoke cigarettes. Don't eat sugar. Uh, yeah, I don't know where I picked that one up, but that was one I thought was a sin for a while. I'm healed of that misbelief. Don't worry about that one. Uh, don't watch certain movies or play certain games. Video games hadn't yet come on the scene at this point. So it was just basically board games or card games that I wasn't supposed to play. And so that meant don't gamble, but don't even play with cards that have, you know, faces on it that could be used for gambling because that's dangerous. Uh, don't, don't bully people like little sisters. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, don't wear your everyday clothes to church. I would never have shown up to church dressed like this when I was a kid. And as I got older, the list of don'ts included things like don't lust, don't give into sexual temptation, don't have sex until you're married, and then only with your wife. And basically, while it's never said directly, I think the biggest don't was don't embarrass God. Don't, don't make him regret being named with you. Don't make him regret saving you. And, and so that was the message, basically. And, and so if we could kind of summarize it, I'd say it was, it was twofold. One was first, there's something you need to do, or there's something I needed to do to keep pleasing God and conversely stop doing so I don't get him angry with me. And two, and this was the big part, it was all up to me now. It was all up to my effort and my strength and my own power. And, and when I was younger, I was pretty good at it, I think. I could perform well for the most part. I could memorize the verses. I, I acted the part of the good kid, mostly. And, and I think from the outside, everyone thought I was doing really, really well. 
But inside, inside I was empty. I, w- I was about as empty as a bag of chips that you give to my kids five minutes later. It just, I had nothing in me there. You like that picture, don't you? I, I thought that was clever too. So, but I remember this now at age 16, sitting in my parents' garage. It was the middle of winter and I, I pulled out this, this lawn chair and I, and I sat it down there and, and I had my Bible in my hand and I just, I wanted to talk to God. And I was just pleading with God. I was just praying with God. God, I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to talk to me. I want to be used of you in a special way to advance your kingdom, but I just don't feel like I know you. I mean, I read these stories and I've learned these stories about the disciples, and yet I don't seem to connect with them, connect with you the same way they did. And and so I, I wanted to know God because, you see, part of my struggle was I just didn't understand the relevancy of Jesus in my life today or in that moment. I mean, I knew he forgave me and I knew I was going to heaven again, but I didn't know what purpose, what purpose did he come to live in me for? Can anyone else relate to that? Well, I I wish I could say that, you know, after I prayed that suddenly the heavens parted and, and angels came down and trumpets blew and God spoke to me with a James Earl Jones voice and, and these incredible things began to happen, but that simply wouldn't been the case. Instead, it seemed like my prayer went up, hit the ceiling, and bounced right back down. I heard nothing from God. And I was just so desperate, and there was nothing coming back to me. And so I began to drift. I began to drift away from God being a priority in my own life. And and effectively, what I did is I put God on the shelf. And what I was doing is I was chasing after the world and the flesh and what they had to offer. Basically what that meant was I was, I was primarily trying to fit in with my friends, hoping that they would, they would give me what I wanted, that the happiness, the joy, the contentment, the acceptance, the approval, which meant acting like them, which meant talking like them. And even at times living like them. And and why my morals uh, kept me out of a lot of the trouble that uh, other teenage kids would have gotten into. I I never got into drinking or using drugs. Um, There were other sins that I would engage in as I followed the flesh and and hoping to find satisfaction. Thankfully, the swearing never came back. I know you're worried about that, but that never came back. Um, But I gave into all kinds of other temptations, primarily sexual temptations. And so my life began to continue, again, slowly drifting and beginning age 16. And then I kind of talk about when I got to university, it's almost like I put an outboard motor on that drift. And my life continued to just drift for almost 10 years. And, and it continued along until what I'm going to call the second lowest point in my life. I was out with some friends and we were visiting a, a local club. And that's what my friends like to do. And they, they like to bring me along because I could be the designated driver. Remember, I don't, I don't drink very much. And so they would love to have me there. And I was there and, and, you know, dancing badly to music that I didn't particularly enjoy, but that's what you're supposed to do because that's how you get acceptance. And, and you have to understand, I was, I was even more dumb and naive than I am to this day. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting there and uh, this girl began to hit on me. 
And, and I don't know what she's doing, but basically what she was trying to do and was pick me up to take me home. And she was successful. And again, I had no idea really what was being, what was going on, but she took me back to her place because her goal was to have sex with me. And, and when things began heated, become heated, I began to understand her intentions at this point. And it was now obvious, even to someone as naive as me, that I was about to have a one night stand. And it was in that moment where something snapped, something just, something came into, came into clarity. And I realized that this, this was not right. This is not who I am. This is not going to be good for me. It's not going to be healthy for me. Things need to change. And so in that moment, I recognize now it was the Holy Spirit that was speaking to me. But basically what I think the Holy Spirit was saying is you've gone far enough. You've gone down this drift and now we need to start pulling you in. And so I, I grabbed my shoes and I literally ran out of that place. I kid you not, like I'm running down the street back to my car that's still at the club, running as fast as I can to get there. And I go home and I remember seeing my friends the next morning and they came up all, you know, big smile. So, so what happened? All excited to hear the story of my so-called conquest. But I felt sick, felt absolutely sick, not just in my stomach, but in my soul because I began to realize now what I was capable of doing in the flesh. And that the path that I was following was killing me and it needed to change. So I figured at that moment, I had to get my life back in order. And that meant beginning to fix my relationship with Jesus. So I went back to what I learned growing up. And I, I threw myself back into that Christian relationship that I had as a child, where now I'm going to live for God again. And I rededicate my life and I gave my life back to him, which meant going back to church and reading the Bible and not doing sinful things and so forth. And so I, I didn't know which church to attend. So I asked my older brother who was, who attended a church in town and, and he told me the church he went to. So I thought that was a great place to start. And I threw myself headfirst into that church. I mean, I was doing everything I could that they would let me do. They didn't let me sing. I don't know why, but they didn't let me do that. But, but basically because I had graduated from university at that point, I was quickly invited to be on the senior leadership of the young adults ministry where I was leading Bible studies, which I remember thinking at the time, if they knew where I was six months earlier, there's no way they let me in on this, but there's no way I was going to tell them because then I'd be rejected. And so I was just trying to do the best I could in leading those, those, that, that group and leading the Bible studies. And so that meant doing other Bible studies. So I was a part of two other Bible studies, one of which was the women's Bible study, by the way. I didn't realize it was a women's Bible study when I joined it. It was just Tuesday morning was more effective or more convenient for me with my grad school uh, schedule. And that poor teacher, now I understood why she looked at me oddly when I asked to join it, but she let me be a part of it. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have long hair at the time, so... But after doing this for 11 months of doing my best and working as hard as I could to be the best Christian I could be, I wanted to throw in the towel. I was done, but I it was done for good this time. You see, after 11 months of striving to please God, of doing my best, I was more miserable than I was before. I was more miserable when I was just following the world. Because see, before... I was numb to the struggles. 
I mean, I saw some of it, but I, I, could, I could just numb it. I could just I keep going and it was okay. But now I'm still going up against these same struggles, but now I'm aware of it. Now it's slapping me in my face. And, and it just absolutely devastated me. Being constantly reminded of the total failure that I am at this thing called the Christian life. And so if the second lowest point was the night that I almost had a one night stand, my lowest point when I was ready to give up on Christianity as a whole, when I realized the failure I was. In fact, I remember telling God these exact words, God, I'm done. I'm not done with you entirely because I know you're real. I can't, I can't put that back in the box. I, that bell's been rung. But God, I'm done living this Christian life. If you send people to me, I'll tell them about you and your love and I'll invite them to be saved. But I, I can't go on this way anymore. I'm, I'm too tired of failing. And what a great prayer that was. You see, that prayer, when I told God that I was done, was really just the completion of the prayer that I prayed about nine years earlier when I was 16 sitting in my parents' garage. You see, when I said I wanted to know God, God didn't, he didn't answer the prayer the way I thought I wanted. He, he, I thought I wanted him to answer it. He didn't begin to speak to me in that moment. Instead, what he did is he allowed this journey now, this, this journey that I went on where I began to discover, A, what I can, am capable of if I follow the flesh, the emptiness and the misery that that, that path will take me and give me, but also that I can't live this Christian life, that I am a total failure at it. You see, I needed to learn not just intellectually, but practically by experience, one of the most quoted but less believed truths of the New Testament. It's found in John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't say apart from me, you, can, you can't do the big things in life. It doesn't say apart from me, there's, there's about seven or eight things that you're, you're going to struggle with. It says apart from Jesus, you and I are capable of doing nothing. You see, I had to learn that truth, that cornerstone truth of our Christianity, that I can do nothing in my own strength and my own power. Well, at least nothing of value. See, there's a lot of things I can do in my own strength. I got multiple degrees in engineering. I could build race cars. I could get friends. I could act nice to people, at least for a time. But if you add all that I did on my own, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. It's the stuff that's going to get burnt up on judgment day. And, and it's because it's just me doing it in my own strength. It's me doing it independent of God. And it's that independent part that's so critical because God didn't design us to live independent of him. He didn't design us to do our best for him. He designed you and I to be dependent upon him. See, that's why God doesn't ask us to be strong in, his, in our own power. He doesn't ask us to buckle down, to pull up our bootstraps, to just be more serious and work harder. Instead, we are commanded to be strengthened by Jesus in the strength of 
his might and of his power. Again, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. It's his power in his strength. And so we have to understand that the Christian life is not difficult for you and I to live. It's impossible. Let me, let me illustrate to you this way. Where's Marco? He's behind the blind spot that I can't see. All right. Let's suppose Marco writes a book on himself, right? And I get a hold of this book and I read this book, the book of Marco. And I think, man, this is great. I mean, he's funny. He's clever. People like him. I want to live like Marco. And so I begin to dedicate large, large parts of my day to reading the book of Marco. In fact, I even, I highlight passages. I memorize passages. I study the, the grammar even of these passages. And I dedicate to live like Marco. In fact, I even begin to teach others how to live the Marconian life. And together, we all live this Marconian life for Marco as best as we can. Now, who do you think can live the best Marco life, me or Marco? Okay, I haven't told you about how the in demand of a speaker I am on the Marconian life. I mean, when I go overseas to places like India, 10,000 people show up to hear me preach, right? And I've opened up schools that teach others how to live the Marconian life. Are you impressed yet? Who do you think could live the better Marco life, me or Marco? Why? Why do you think Marco can live the better, Christian, the better Marco life? Because it's his life. He's Marco. You see, we have to understand that's, that's true when it comes to Jesus, the Christian life. There's only one person that can live the Christ life, and that's who? That's Jesus. You see, I spent so many years, the first 20 years of my Christian walk, trying to live like Jesus, trying to follow the principles and the model and the path only to discover that I, I make a really poor Jesus. I make a really poor God. But that's not what he's looking for. Instead, what Jesus has done is he's done something really powerful and special. What Jesus has done is he now wants to manifest or live his life through me. See, this is what Paul began to understand. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 17 and 18, listen to what he says. He says, therefore, in Christ Jesus... I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. You see, there is a number of things that Paul did for God. Right? Think about when he was Saul. He was dedicated to God. He was, he was doing his best to follow the principles and the rules and the godly living that was laid out for him. And he was living for God. And it got him to the point where he was killing Christians. He was attacking people. Because I don't want to talk about what I did for God. Because what I did for God is valueless and nothing. Instead, the only thing I want to brag about, the only thing I want to boast and talk about is what Jesus has done through me. With Jesus living the Christian life through Paul. So he says it this way in Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me, the new person. It's that part that Christ now lives. That the very person of Jesus Christ has come to place himself in me to live through me. 
And that's very, very different than me living for Jesus. It's very, very different than me actually doing my best for Jesus. Because living for Jesus, doing my best for Jesus, doesn't actually require Jesus. It just requires me to follow a model or a pattern. But that's not what he desires. What he desires is to partner with me. He desires to live in through me in such a way that others get to experience Jesus in me. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not also as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both, both to will to chart the course, to chart the direction, to choose what we're going to do, both to will and to work according or for his good pleasure. And so God not only wants to set that path, he actually has put his very life inside of me so that he can now accomplish it through me. And that happens as I abide in him, as I trust in him. Now that word abide or trust or depend or rest, they're all, they're all speaking to the same concept. But for a long time, I, I struggled with it. It was too, too out there. It was too, too hard for me to wrap my mind around. But then, then I began to understand some things. And so there's one verse in particular, I think helped really open up my eyes to it. And it's, it's an Old Testament passage, a very famous passage. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And it's those who wait upon the Lord or those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get tired. They shall walk and not become weary. There's, there's two words here that I think are really important for us to understand. The first one is this word wait. Now we read that word in English and we just think, wait, we think passivity, sit in the sidelines and wait for Jesus to show up and do a miracle. But that's not what this word wait means. The word literally means to braid. So you think about, you know, your, your wife or your daughters or, or, you know, someone with long hair braiding their hair. This intertwining of things. That's essentially what this word wait means. So let's kind of picture it this way. Imagine, imagine I have a piece of thread. How much weight could that thread hold? Not much probably, you know, a couple pounds and suddenly it's going to snap. But then I got on this side here, I've got a a one inch steel cable and that one inch steel cable can now hold 80,000 pounds without snapping. I got a piece of thread that can hold just a couple pounds and an 80,000 or a one inch steel cable that can hold 80,000 pounds. And then what I do is I braid them together. I don't, I don't know how you braid. I'm, I'm guessing you do this, right? It's magic, right? So you, you braid the, the thread and you braid the steel cable together. How much weight can that thread now hold? It can hold 80,000 pounds because it's bonded, it's braided to the strength now of that steel cable. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to, to braid our lives to his to braid our strength to his, our love to his, our kindness to his, our patience, our gentleness, our goodness to his. So that now we, 
And some changes it would renew our strength. That's not what it says. This, this one we have here that says gain new strength, more literally would exchange that we would now have his strength and his power and his might. And that's now what allows us to live. So let's illustrate this way. My, my wife, Joy, when, when she wants to be loved, I know giving her a hug is a great way to love her. And so one day, maybe I'm sitting there and, and she's in the kitchen, she's doing some things and I'm sitting on the couch and, and Jesus now whispers into me because he's there to, in me to will. And he says, Ross, it's time to love joy. And you know, she loves a hug. And I say, okay, Jesus, and you're in me to live. So go give her a hug and let me know how it goes. Is that what happens? No, because where did Jesus live? In me. So if Jesus wants to give joy a hug, guess who's going to use? Lucky me. And so I get up and we walk over and we give her a hug and we tell her we love her. Now, is that me or Jesus? Answer is yes. In that moment, trusting Jesus, Jesus now loves joy through me. And that matters. That's powerful. Now that's, that's easy because it's so easy for me to love joy. But what about when, when we're faced with someone that's not so easy to love? We're hanging around Josh, right? It's at times it's hard. I get it. I get it. Thankfully, Jesus is in you. And so Jesus is in you can come up and love on Josh to encourage him. Because he's probably feeling a little bad because I singled him out right now. So do that afterwards. Now, we got to be careful because I, when I talk to people of this, they, they can, we can turn this into legalism all over again. Where, where now we become obsessed with my trust in Jesus. Is he living in me? Have, have I really, am I really trusting him in this moment? How do I know? And we get so caught up on that. Because the reality is it's something that we're supposed to do kind of moment by moment. But I see people get into bondage with this. Because again, that's what the flesh wants to do. Turn it into a standard. And please keep in mind, God's not keeping a scorecard. You're not going to show up in heaven and get like a baseball card. And on the back, have your walking in the spirit percentage. Wow, you were batting 300. That was it's good in baseball. Eh, not so good in Christianity. That's not what it's going to be. He's not keeping track that way. But I think I want to give you an illustration that might kind of help us understand what it means then to, to, to trust in him, to rely upon him. And I want you to think about uh, flying a plane or, or, or sailing a ship even compared to driving a car on a road or, or driving him in a train on train tracks. You see, the difference of those is, is the car or the train is very much locked into its path. That car is going to stay on the road. The, the train's going to follow the track. But with a plane or a boat, there, there is no track. There is no road in that way. They're in the air and they're on the sea and they can go all over the place. But what they're doing is the, the, the captain of those ships or the plane, they have an end goal in mind. And so they're, they're moving towards that goal every so often making course correction. And they, they're doing that by looking down at their instruments and recognizing, oh, we're a little bit off course. We got to correct and off they go. Now, they don't obsessively look at those, those instruments, but they are checking it routinely from time to time. 
And then in the meantime, trusting that they're on the right course. I think that's the same thing about what it means to trust Jesus. Is that we're not locked on a road or a set of tracks. We can go all over the place. And that means we could drift over to the side and begin to walk after the flesh. We could be drifting over here, listening to the world. And so the Holy Spirit comes along and he, he warns us. He, he alert, alerts us. And that's our instruments. And so we look down at our instruments. We, 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 we look back to the Holy Spirit. We look to Jesus and say, Jesus, am I trusting you right now? And we're communing with him. We're talking with him. And if we're not, there's no condemnation. As, as Peter said earlier, he's wanting to love on us. And he's inviting us to make that course correction to begin to trust him again. And so we're trusting Jesus now to be Jesus through us. To be Jesus to those around us. And so that means communing with him. That means talking with him. That means communicating with the Holy Spirit. Allowing God to direct us as to what needs to be done reminding us that he's going to be that strength and that power, especially when we're tired and exhausted. And, and that, that could come through a formal prayer where you bow your head and you close your eyes. That, but I, I don't think it's limited to that. In fact, I talk to God far more outside of formal prayer than in it. Because throughout the day, we can communicate. I can check in with him and, and, and chat with him with just little comments from time to time. And sometimes they're longer conversations, sometimes they're shorter conversations. So it's much bigger than, I think, formal prayer. So now I can imagine what, what people say at this moment. They say, well, I, I talk to God, but I don't, I don't hear him back. I don't, I don't know what he's saying to me. And I get that. I, I struggle with that with most of my life, especially because I, I grew up in a tradition where it was kind of taught to me that, that God speaks to me through his word, but that's about it. And I didn't realize that he could actually speak to me through anything, through nature, through a song, be it Christian or not, through movies, through books, through, through a friend, through a sunset, through a, the sound of a Formula One engine. He can speak to me anyways. I mean, if he, he could speak to people through Balaam's donkey, why would we limit him in any way? But the question is, do we recognize him speaking to us? And that's where I struggled for so many years, recognizing what he was saying to me. And so if you're in that spot, what I want to encourage you to do is, is open up your word, open up the Bible again. Now, I think what's happened is we've, we've, a lot of us have grown up under that, that religious tradition that I grew up under was you were told, thou shalt read your Bible. And it became onerous and it became a law and a commandment. And it just felt like I wasn't doing it enough. And for a time, I, I kind of put it aside and I just stopped reading it. But then when I opened it up again and I began to read it with a different motive, I didn't read it to please God. I didn't read it to get a check mark in Sunday school. I didn't read it to please anybody. I read it so that I could know my father. Because you see, the Bible is an autobiography. It's more than a history book. It's more than a book of theology. It's an autobiography written by God about who he is to us. And so start reading your, your Bible. And if you're not sure where to begin, 
A great place would be the epistles. Start, start in this book of Ephesians. Go back to the beginning and read through the book of Ephesians or Galatians or Colossians and get to know who Jesus is and how he's going to direct us. Because now what happens is, is you might be going through your day and you're, you're faced with a crossroads. You're not sure which way to go. And then suddenly you remember a verse. Some, somewhere you remember something you read. And that will be God bringing to your mind what he wants to do. And what happens is the longer you practice this, the the longer you're turning and you're talking with Jesus, the more you begin to recognize his voice. And so I sit here today saying that, that I know and recognize his voice far more today than I did 20 years ago or, or 30 years ago when I sat in my parents' garage. And I I look forward to to 30 years from now, looking back on this moment and recognizing that I've grown in understanding his voice. Because he's always speaking to us. We just don't always recognize it, that that's what he's doing. Because you see, as as Peter's songs, as that theme was just driving home of God's love for you and I. I think we, we need to remember that. See, Galatians 2.20, remember, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The old me is dead and gone, but Christ himself, Jesus himself now lives in and through me. And the life I live today, the life I live in this body, I live by faith, by braiding, by abiding, by trusting, by depending upon the son of God who loves me. See, what I want to leave us with this morning is this, is this idea of the goodness of God. He doesn't, he doesn't abandon us and say, now that I've saved you, now that I've done all this for you, get to work, impress me, try harder, do more. He doesn't do that. It was never his desire. Instead, the whole reason that he saved you and I was out of his love to love us more. We saw that in Ephesians 2.7 that he loved us to love us. And in loving us today, what he's done is he's wanting to partner with us. He's wanting to journey with us. Think about it. How much you, you look forward to hanging out with your friends and the, the fun and the laughter you have when you're doing something with a friend be it your spouse or, or, or another friend or, or, you know, someone from school or your work, you just love hanging out with them. Well, that's Jesus. And, and he's orchestrated life, this journey that we're on right now, so that he and I could walk together through it, so that you and him could walk through life together with him. And he's constantly inviting us, let me in, let me be a part, of what's going on. And as we do, we begin to discover this, this life and this contentment and this power. See, when I began to understand that, some 10 years after I prayed that prayer in that garage, I found peace. I found hope. I found joy. All those things that I was desperately looking for in those first 25 years or so of my life. I found it in the person of Jesus. And so we're to be strong in that power. We're to be strong in that might. So that we, 
we experience life together with him. It's not a replacement of me. It's not Jesus with my skin on. It's not Jesus just through this empty tube of me. No, there's still a new me that's now braided, joined to the new, to, to Jesus, this resurrected King. And that's the strength and the power that we have access to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel that is much more than just get saved so we work for you. It's much more than us being saved and then being abandoned to strive in our own power. Instead, you have equipped us not just with a power, but your power. Not just with a life, but your life. And you're encouraging and you're inviting us now, Lord Jesus, to trust you with that. And I recognize, Jesus, that such an abstract concept, this idea of relying upon you so that you would live your life through us. But the good news is we have your spirit to show up. We have your spirit to teach us for the rest of our lives what that means and what that looks like. And so I invite you, encourage you to do that for each and every one of us. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.